This is Rugga Matrix America. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff with RugbyMag.com, bringing you to show number 102 right after the USA played Tonga in Wales. And that's going to be the main thrust of our show this time. We wanted to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and a happy holiday season. Uh, Pat, Bruce, and I will be talking about the Eagles and getting ready for the Romania game that comes up right after Thanksgiving on Saturday. Rugga Matrix America is brought to you by Hooker Wines and Rugby Imports, the USA Sevens International Tournament in February 2013, and also the Las Vegas Invitational that same weekend, and also by the Rugby site. Don't forget to check out all the news that we have on at RugbyMag.com and check out the Premier section, which you can subscribe to. That gives you a lot of extra information, news, analysis, and also Rugby Magazine Digital. And we will be talking about the Eagles and their first two games on tour right after this. Hey fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Hey everybody, this is Alex Goff from Rugby Matrix America and RugbyMag.com. And we all know it takes grit and determination just to get to the edge of a rugby pitch. And it takes even more courage drive and passion to lock arms with your teammates and rise to the challenge and play in a game at Lauer Family Wines. They know that too. They have a passion for rugby and a passion for wine and that passion collides in their Hooker Wines line from Napa Valley. Steeped in the tradition, teamwork and heroism of the game and their drive inspires them to create wines that honor those who chase their passions in rugby and elsewhere in life. Get in the match and buy Hooker Wines online at hookerwines.com. Uh, so we are uh, moments after the USA versus Tonga game that was played in Cowan Bay, Wales. Uh, we are not in Cowan Bay, Wales, but uh, Alex Goff, Pat Clifton, and Bruce McLean are here to talk. Uh, the Eagles 22-13 to 13 loss to Tonga. And uh, Bruce, the headline on RugbyMag.com is USA gifts victory to Tonga. Um Fair comment? I mean, I'm not going to say that they gifted the victory to them. <clears throat> they they certainly had every opportunity to win the game, and I think that what happened was nobody really wanted to make the mistake that cost the game, so they played in such a way that kind of got away from there, got away from there, probably the tactics that they wanted to use, and uh, and it didn't come off the way they wanted uh, Pat, you were talking to me about uh, you know, earlier about something that's similar to that, the idea of players deferring. Yeah, I think you – one example I'll use is you know, I saw Louie Stanfield grab the ball, and he could have chucked it right into the defense, lowered his shoulder, and gone for the gain line. But instead he deferred to Lavala, who was in no better position to, to do what he could have done, and, and, and he took it forward. And I think that that was just a microcosm of kind of – the way the game worked, I thought Clever made a lot of plays. I thought Lavala made some positive plays on offense. Hume obviously did. And I think Emmerich did when he was in. Um, not sure I agree with him getting subbed out when he got subbed out, but uh, assuming he was healthy. Uh, but I think that those three or four guys 
everybody else was waiting for them to make a play. And it's the same thing you'll see, you know, that I say to my Division Three club guys, that you can't wait for the big guys to make a play. Everybody needs to, to do it. And I think that um, some people weren't necessarily raising their hands to do it. Hey, can I, I'm gonna, I want to get into that. That that actually, that, that play and those types of things in particular. What they really were doing, and it's, it's, it's just a tactic we use at the AC, it's just a tactic that gets used, is that when you get a ball, a one-off runner off a nine, a lot of times the defense really clamps down and tries to kill you. And what you do is you just and you lift a little pass to the guy next to you who's coming, and you just try to get a little bit in behind the game line. It's not anything, you know, sometimes you can go for big yards with it, but a lot of times it's against a set defense, so it can be a little bit more difficult. So that I remember that particular play. I think that some of the stuff that really killed them was kicking away decent possession in the attacking zone, uh, not getting themselves on the front foot when they were down two, and they had some and they had some possession inside the uh, the Tongan half where they they might have been able to secure a penalty or something and get a chance to kick a goal. And then I think that you know some of the some of the set piece opportunities close to the goal line that, that we didn't that we didn't convert the way we maybe should have or wanted to. I think those are those are something and obviously the restart reception a couple of things, but you know, that that went both ways. Tongo also fell asleep for quite a while too when the US took advantage of it. I, I think in this performance, I think that the US did really well to come back from what was seemingly a, a very difficult thing to overcome in the beginning. Okay, okay, a, so a very, we, we... Yeah, I mean, look at that. They gave up a try in the first two minutes. It looks like, I mean, you're looking at it and thinking, uh-oh, we got a, we got problems here because the the USA didn't look like they were flailing around and they made their tackles to for uh, to a certain extent. But Tonga just looks so dangerous. But um, uh, I think they're an emotional team. Tonga, uh, they can, they 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 came in on fire. And then what was nice to see was the the USA get the ball finally, and and try to do something with it, and and it's evident to me in the first half that they wanted to kick for territory. They weren't doing a super job about it, but when they when they did, that became clear that they could kick for territory. They had ascendancy in the lineup. They were going to win their own, and they they muffed messed up a bunch of uh, Tongan throws. Uh, so that was all going to to make sense, and then part way through, the the way Todd Clever uh, described it after the game is that uh, they uh, through the game they realized that if they just did the pick and go, that was kind of like a draw play in football, you know, because the Tongans were were blitzing on defense, so they just pick and go and get behind the gain line, and uh, and that started working to the point that the try they eventually scored. Was actually a pick and go from Paul Emmerich, the center, to Andrew Suniel to Robbie Shaw. Um, offloads, pick and go. That's all fine. So you're looking at the team that's got, they're kicking for territory. Their line out is better to the point that the Tongan, they, they have no idea what to do really. And the scrum's not great, but they're able to do pick and go, and and then also work some uh, some cutbacks with the centers. And Luke Hume is looking very dangerous. So get the ball to him. All of that seems to make sense. And then they don't do any of it in the second half at all. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't it look in the second half like the USA from 2011 taking flat-footed passes and hitting 
contact and quickly go into ground and try and recycling slowly and then doing the same thing and going backwards. I, I'm not going to go so far as to say they ever looked like the USA in 2011. Um, that was that that you know that that different team, but I would I would say that they maybe played not to lose. They did have an opportunity, and you know, in, in those circumstances, especially when there's not a lot of time left, you got to make sure you hang on to the ball. I, there were a couple kicks that I probably would have wanted back if I were on the field, and and I think that the, you know, I think that the biggest thing was Tonga up. Tonga did up the line speed and, and put us under a bit of pressure. We did need to get a little bit of go forward. It takes a lot of patience to do a pick and go. You, you do need that extra back in there sometimes. Kind of nine guys works better than eight because you go three, three, three as opposed to three, three, two. Oh, my God, we need a third. And then you kind of mix up where you, where you belong. Um, one of the things with, 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 with um, Emmerich on the pick and go I, you know, Mike and I were were working on this a bit in the fall. That that was an aspect of play that we wanted to bring into the AC that could possibly work with the Eagles. And where we really got it from was Phil Eloff when he played for Chicago Lions used to skin us on pick and goes on a go forward. So if there was any kind of a, a line break or even half line break in. Eloff would, would pick the ball up immediately and just go forward, not try to play halfback, not try to clear out, not try to really do much of anything, or, or maybe one guy cleared and he would just pick and go. And and he so he wanted to bring that into the Eagles and obviously he did and and it worked pretty well. I I I also think that the thing that I would be most proud of the Eagles at is that the scrum settled down a little bit after getting really annihilated badly in the first three of them. And not not that it was great by any stretch. I'm not going to go that far, but it definitely did settle down. The other thing is that I think they went into the game worried about whether or not they were going to make their tackles. At least that was evidenced by the articles that, that were written by you. I yes. haven't had a whole lot of communication with the guys outside of brief emails with Mike and some of the players. So I, I don't have a whole lot of community. And, and they're really just ancillary, you know, good luck, hope everything's going well and have fun. Um, so they, I, don't, I haven't had any contact. So you, you've had more contact than me. And I think in the beginning of the game, they went and they made their tackles, but they stood there and they made their tackles. And I think that right after that, and credit to whoever whoever took this the lead on this, it was probably clever, was that they upped the line speed and they upped the intensity and they upped the counter-rucking at the breakdown. And they played they played aggressive rugby on, on both sides of the ball. And it, and they, they, well, the they were aggressive. We're, we're talking about a team – that law, you know, USA lost to Tonga 18 months ago, 44-13, and we ended up uh, uh, making that 22-13 this time around. So um, obviously that's an improvement. Um, and, and, you know, looking at that, we're happy about that. And basically it was a game there to be won, but they, they, they did miss some opportunities. I, I want to I ask you about a couple of opportunities. All right, so red zone, where um, – they're, they're a meter away from the line four times. They get uh, a penalty and uh, two penalties and a try, which, okay, uh, one, they come away with nothing. Um, the reason they came away with nothing uh, was really slow ball, and eventually they, they turn it over on the line. Um, so I want to I ask about that. 
um, what you guys think could be. I mean, my opinion is if you're going to pick and go against the line, you've got to get it back quickly, one, two, three, or vary it up and get it out to the backs, uh, run a switch, cut it back in. But you can't just stand there and go, okay, you know we're going to go left or right, and you just stack, stack the defense around. The other thing is in the second half, uh, there's a deliberate knock-on by the Tongan fly half. He gets a yellow card. Penalty essentially in front of the posts, um, uh, and they kick it. The reason they got that penalty was because there was a free kick from a scrum, and the USA called a scrum. So my question is, why couldn't they have tapped it? Not even fast. Just do set, the scrum is having problems. Why, can't they, why not just tap it and get into a, a, the game that was working for them? And second of all, kicking that penalty, is that, is that too conservative at that point? Should they have just camped out in there until they get that try? No, that wasn't too conservative. They did. I think they they took the points and they should have. Um, and it bared out that later in the game they were within a penalty of winning it um, until they gave up it kind of towards the end, or their defense fell, you know, folded towards the end. But as far as the uh, the red zone stuff, it almost seemed like they felt like if they weren't going to score in the first four or five. Um, four or five phases that they didn't know what was going to happen because they would get into the, they would get into the red zone. And a couple of times it looked like Robbie Shaw plucked the ball out of the, the base of the ruck and didn't have any idea what he was going to do with it until he actually looked up to see what was there when he should have done, you know, obviously if you're going to pick the ball from the base of the ruck and you know what you want to do with it. Um, so I feel like there was a lack of um, focus in terms of knowing what they wanted to do in turn inside the, the, the red zone, inside the five meter. And that was, that was pretty bad. And, and the other thing is, uh, there's nothing wrong with pick and goes. I feel like that was, um, you know, kind of Eddie O'Sullivan's way of slowing the game down. We're going to, we're going to slow it down and try not to lose and pick and go. And so now that there's this like uh, a bad connotation with a pick and go offense, when it's working as well as it was for the Eagles, there's nothing wrong with continuing to do it. Um, and I think that they abandoned it too much in, in the, uh, in the five meters and not uh, contrary to what the commentators are saying, saying that they were doing it um, too much. I think they abandoned it when they shouldn't have, and they were throwing it to, a back line of two or three guys that were standing flat-footed, you know, eight, ten meters behind the game line instead of using the pick-and-goes that were inching them closer and closer. Use those pick-and-goes, suck in the defense, and if you don't score off the pick-and-goes, you should have a back line set up at some point in time. But I think they abandoned it too quickly. I don't like taking scrums down at the five-yard line uh, unless you have a yellow card where they're short a man and they're short a man in the scrum, a front row player in particular not so much just a man, but a front row player. So I, cause then that gets a flanker off the field and, and brings in another front row player and disrupts him a little bit. Otherwise I don't like to take the scrums for the exclusive reason that it puts the referee in the game and anything can happen. And you're putting a referee in the game and you got a 50, 50 chance of, of something. And didn't we, didn't we lose an attacking scrum inside the 22 um, to a free kick to Tonga earlier on in the game too, to the referee, yeah. to your point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now that said, I, I probably would have run it because I like that. It, it's just a theory of mine. I, I like to say I'd rather run the ball and have it at the one yard line trying to pick and go or force the issue as opposed to have a scrum at the five. It's just my own. It's my own thought. Not anything crazy unless the scrum is really dominant and, and we're certain that the ref's not going to ping us for anything. As far as kicking the penalty, 
I definitely think they had to do that. I, I it, it's not club rugby, it's international rugby. And, and, and I think that England is, is probably upset that they didn't possibly take that same tack. The U.S. was within two points late in the game. I mean, it was winnable. It was a winnable game late in the game. And, and I think that if anybody with a half a brain who had seen the result of, you know, the, the kind of self-destruction had against Russia later in the game, I mean, granted, there were a lot of reasons for that. And and saw the result that possibly the Tonga had in in their game against Italy, and extrapolated it out and said that Chris Wiles wasn't playing for the USA. Then I think that you would you would almost have to you would have to say that the result in and of itself was pretty good. And and the pick and go at the goal line. I mean, it's a great play. It, it definitely is a great play. Also, moving the ball is great. Sometimes they're appropriate and sometimes they're not. And it, you just don't I, – I can't say that – I probably would have stayed with pick and goes, but you can – you know, it can get predictable. You can get penalized. You kind of do need to throw a lot of people in there to do it. And, and I, what I would have maybe done is hope that they throw an extra guy in. I hope that they really try. Like, Quill is pretty good at – kind of making a little snipe and then giving a little offload. He did that once during uh, during the game. And uh, so I – there was a lot in it. I, I was – oh, I, I was upset that it that it ended the way it did. But I think that if, if somebody said to you, you know what, 55 minutes into the game, you're going to be winning. And at the end of the game, with, with less than less than five – less than seven minutes to go – you're going to be down by two, but you're going to have the ball first phase possession two or three times inside the opposition half with a chance to win. Would you? We, I, I mean, I would have been a buyer on that any day of the week. I don't know what that ding was. I just want to know if it means that Bruce just got his wings. Before I, I hate to cut you off, but before you do this, after his little positive diatribe, I want to just completely disagree with what you're saying, Bruce. You're talking about a team that had. Uh, the dominance of possession in the meat of the game. They had the dominance. Of, they, they were better in the open. They were better, I think, if you put an aggregate of the set pieces between scrum and line out together. The Eagles were better um, overall if you package those two. All right. This team had multiple opportunities inside the five meter. It is not okay to walk away with this and act like it's a, it's a moral victory. At some point in time, you have to win games. This team had Tonga on the ropes, and they reverted to dropping the ball and looking around for somebody else to make a play. This is not a positive day for the Eagles, like like beating Russia was. This well, is not. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. Well, first off, first off, Russia was like a like like a club team. Um, and, and Tonga was a, a real team. I'm not certainly not taking. If you're going to compare to old scores, we beat we only beat Russia by a score the last two times I, we played them. Said so if you want to compare scores, I'm saying that we self-destructed. So and and also we made substitutions that we didn't make, and also we had Chris Wiles, and you know I mean there, there were there were issues in the Russia game that. When you're up forty to three or forty to five or whatever it was, I mean, completely different games. Well, let's take that out of the equation. What I'm I'm not saying that it's a moral victory. I'm saying that given the result of the Russia game and their res- and the Tongan result against Italy, saying given that, if somebody said to you as a coach, would you take winning the game at halftime and fifty five minutes in? 
shortly thereafter being down by two, but having first phase possession in the last 10 minutes, three or four times inside the opposition half with a chance to win. And I would have said, I'll take that based on what was happening. And then knowing that you lose Brian Doyle, which is a big loss for them. And they still were able to dominate the line out in terms of that. And so they were, they were out Brian Doyle. I mean, the marquee players for the USA, like you really look at them, Brian Doyle, I mean, sorry, um, Samu Manoa, Taku Nguyenya, Chris Wiles, Todd Clever, and to some extent, Scott Labala. To some extent. Um, Come on. So you take three, no, I'm saying to some extent, Scott Labala is, is not them yet. He's getting there. But like I, I would say that those guys, those three would be your marquee players. Well, for those four, three of them weren't there. And if you add Scott, three out of five weren't there. And what we also had was you know, uh, a few drop balls and uncharacteristic mistakes. Uh, a key one on the restart after the USA kicked a penalty to go up 13-5. to five And I don't know what happened with uh, I mean, Lou Stanfield, but the ball bounced off his shoulder. A couple of other uh, drops by players that really weren't under pressure. Um, and, and those kinds of mistakes um, by people who should know better. And uh, and a more experienced. That's the thing that's extremely frustrating, because that just gave away momentum. One of the things that really bugs Mike is drop balls. I mean, that, that it bugs him more than it bugs me, but it, it definitely bugs him in, in a big way. It's 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 something that that gets him crazy. I I expected the restart after Russia to be a little bit better. Um, it's going to come. Restarts are difficult. And and I think that a restart, especially since Brian wasn't in the game, you put in a sub on on, on restarts. And I, and I think there was probably a little bit of confusion there. I, it, it It's not the easiest play to make. And, and a lot of times, maybe he should have just stood there and caught the ball. And, and I think that what happens is guys think about that they need to get lifted into the air and – so they're always worried about getting lifted and getting up and catching the ball. And there's a lot of things to worry about. And sometimes the ball gets kicked deep enough where you can just stand there and catch the ball. So, you know, it's like a fullback, like when, when he's not under pressure and he jumps for the ball and knocks it on, instead of just standing there, sprint to the ball, get set, catch the ball. You know, you don't want to drift and you don't want to reach. And the point is he dropped the ball. And he, he, did, it, he did it again later in the you know, game. I guess the good part of this is that we're again we're arguing about a game uh, lost on tiny little things, a little drop ball here, a mistake here. They are real mistakes. I'm not going to uh, cast them aside because they didn't happen. The point is that we've changed what we're saying about this team because 18 months ago um, it was a very different scenario. I mean, look, the way I look at it is this: they played a team that they had gotten annihilated by not the first team of Tonga, a weakened team of Tonga, they got annihilated by. And they came back and they played well. And maybe they got into the situation of, I can't believe that I'm winning and I don't want to blow this. And, And I don't know how it happened or what happened, but there were a lot of circumstances in there that said to me that perhaps... I don't look at this as as a bad result. I look at it as a disappointing outcome. 
It's definitely a disappointing outcome based on what could have happened. But this game could have gone sideways early. And and you can't look me right in the face, not that we're looking at each other, but you can't look me right in the face and say that you didn't think this game was going to go sideways five minutes into it. And overcame that. And they did a very good job overcoming it. So in, in, in taking that into consideration, I think that they did well. And you know what? Based on the way that they played, they didn't play a full 80 minutes, and they didn't deserve to win the game. They lost the game, and now they can go back, and they can take a look at themselves, and they can say, what is it going to take for them to get to the level that they want to be? They still are not an 80-minute team. But right now, they're playing a very good 60 minutes, and that's okay. It's better than last year where they weren't playing a very good any minutes. Then they'd get down by two tries and go to the pick-and-go game so that the other team didn't annihilate them. That was it. Do you remember remember last year when we lost to Ireland? What was it, 22-10? Yeah. So Ireland and Tonga now are put in the same same basket, right? I mean – Oh, boy. Now, that's a topic for another time. We're going to cut back in right now, uh, take a break and uh, get a couple of messages, and we'll be right back on Rugger Matrix America. Hey, everybody, don't forget that the largest rugby tournament in the country is coming up sooner than you think, February 7th, 8th, 9th in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Invitational. It's wrapped around, of course, the USA 7s International Tournament, and it has everything you want in a rugby tournament, thousands of players, over 200 teams, uh, kids, adults, college, elite level, international level. Uh, you've got the CRC qualifier. You've got uh, women's, 15s and 7s. It's all everybody would ever want in a rugby tournament. And you get to see the USA 7s. And you get to be in Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com. Check on the LVI link and see how to pre-register. Okay, we are back on Rugby Matrix America. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com with Pat Clifton, also from RugbyMag.com, and Bruce McLean, who is from his own planet. And we've been talking about the USA Tonga game and a little bit about the Russia game. Um, guys, we talked a little bit about um, selections, but not a whole lot. There were there were some players who had very good games. We talked about that. Um, you know, Clever was great. Lavala, I thought, was uh, really good. Luke Hume was probably the best back. Um, some other players had some good moments, some difficult moments. I think Chris Biller struggled. I think uh, uh, on open side flanker, perhaps we're still looking for someone. John Quill uh, did a lot of good things, but he was also physically just sort of blown out of the rucks a couple of times, uh, going in there a little too high. Uh, he's got to learn something. Remember, he's only 22, replaced by Peter Dahl. And we didn't quite see the Peter Dahl of 2009, but, um, you know, you've got to have a little bit of patience with some people. Um, so uh, Eric Fry played well. Other, uh, you know, I thought Lou Stanfield has had better games. So we talk about all that stuff. And, and, and Bruce, this is more for Pat, I guess, because Bruce, you mentioned some players. But Pat, are there some players that you would have liked to have seen on this squad or on this field uh, for this game? Right. Obviously, we wish we had Samu, Z, and Chris. I think if you have all three of those guys, plug them into the scenario today, it's a win for the Eagles. Uh, um, but guys that we could have selected or done something about. Um, you know, I think Mate Macchiola, when I look at the fact that we didn't get Pittman or um, Fry off the field at all, um, 
I think Mate Machiola comes in in the last 20 minutes as he did, um, you know, quite a bit last year and coming off the bench could have provided some spark and some nastiness and some physicality that they needed um, and definitely some experience. And I know he may not be the most match fit guy ever, or at least that was um, the reason I heard he wasn't selected, but he is playing rugby. And I think that um, he definitely could have been um, uh, of use there late in the second half. And then I think that the Cornelius Dirksen, he's not a guy that's going to make mistakes for you. He's played a ton of rugby, but he's also a guy who's only going to score a try if he's, um, you know, given the perfect opportunity to score a try on the national level by other people putting him into that position. I don't think he's a guy that can make a break on his own. I think Miles Craigwell potentially could, um, he could definitely break some lines. I mean, he's not the, the speedster that's going to finish it off for you. We know he doesn't have the top end speed, but he could break some lines and he can make, um, you know, Andrew Sunula made a, a very momentum changing hit in this game. Miles Craigwell can make one of those too. So I think he would have been uh, definitely, you know, he may have made a mistake or two as well that Cornelius didn't make today. Um, but, He's definitely a guy who you, you have a second thought about. And then when you talk about the hooker situation, I think that's a huge deal because, I mean, Chris Biller was at the point in the second half where he was taking a knee when he was about to throw a line out, and we just waited for him, and it looked like he was just tired. He didn't lose a contact. He wasn't hurt. He just wanted a knee, and we weren't able to get him off the field when we, we should have been able to. So we have front-row subs. We didn't use any of them. So what's the point of taking the guys that we took over other people if we're not even willing to use them? Um you know that that was a little and I, I, it's a it, message isn't it it's a it message is. yeah certainly well i mean i you know i've coached with mike for a long time mike's not big in the sub subs subs cause disruptions especially in line outs and that was our one source of possession that was really good and you you really don't want to mess around too much with it one guy that i would have liked to pat on this team i was i was talking to rob holder about it yesterday and i was like you know, some of these guys are, you know, they're they're players and whatever. Um, not a whole lot to – I was like, I would almost want to take a Tossie Mongo or a Henry Bloomfield. Like, what's the difference between Henry Bloomfield and Zach Finoglio? Henry Bloomfield can score tries for you. You know what I mean? Like, I would take him. I'm not, not, I'm not saying anything against Zach. I'm just saying, like, or, you know, you got to – you know, Peter Dahl or, or – you know, and and they'll, they'll take Tossie. You know, like if you want somebody who could do a pick and go and score from close, those would be the two, probably the two best American players ever at that. So you, so you, well, I, we're talking about a younger version, right? I would talk. I'm, I'm not talking about. I'm not even talking about a younger version. So are, you know, yeah, uh, okay. So the idea of you know players, these young guys. A, 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 a tooth-rattling Polynesian back row would be great. Though, I'm just, I, and I say, I say it tongue-in-cheek. I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek. But the reality is, if you had to win a game tomorrow morning and taking Zach Finoglio or Henry Bloomfield. Okay, okay. So, so that's, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. Did they have to win a game? tomorrow morning did, did did they have to win this game is it worth is Zach Fernogio going to win games for you in the World Cup in a few years I don't know he's been in the mix these guys have been in the mix like I'm happy with the way Brian but, Pittman played. I was I, I I don't know I'm not I'm not and hey look I'm not beating up on him I just I think that when you're in the mix you should be in better condition and ready to do things better that's that's if you're a first-time hit 
hey, look, you get a, you get a, you get a mulligan for not showing up in shape or not showing up prepared. When you're in the mix, you've been an All-American and that kind of stuff, you get no mulligan, not in my book. And what and what is the benefit of taking a guy like Fenoglio if he doesn't play? He's not right. I mean, is he really becoming better just by Come on, being man. on this tour? Is, this isn't this isn't little league football or little league basketball. They, he he went. He gets to play in practice. You know what? Oh, and, I'm not saying they owe him minutes. I'm just saying that if your argument oh, is definitely if, don't if owe. You, no, I'm not saying that. I'm you're, saying you're, the argument for taking him my, is, my argument is if you're if you're selecting partly for the future then shouldn't you try to to test those guys in a game environment? Um, and yeah. and, I'm saying and you're the, pick- I think the answer yeah. from Mike Tolkien is no. But I can I no I understand what you're saying. And I, I I was thinking the same thing. Wh- why don't you put them on to see what they can do? I'm not saying they should have played Zach. What I am they saying they put them on. They put them on and saw what they did against Russia. And they, yeah. they, and, they and they and they hemorrhaged points. Listen, they I'm not. Saying, they put I, everyone. I don't want to come across as a guy that said they should have put on Zach or that if you're going to take him, you should play him. I'm saying if you're going to take a guy, he should be a guy that you are willing to play in a crunch time minute, right? And obviously Zach isn't that guy because he wasn't put in today and Wait. Biller was dogging it in the second half and Wait. just didn't have the juice anymore. So if they didn't sub a, a hooker on for him then, I don't see him coming on against Romania unless we're up by 40. Hey, you know what? I'll tell you right now, if I were coaching, I wouldn't have done it either. I would have definitely rolled the dice with Biller. Um, but he was out of position. Wait, you could I arguably pin both second half yeah. tries on Tonga, largely on Biller's shoulders, and the fact that he was late to the fringe, and that's where they were scored upon, or where the break happened. Hey, Certainly, just, the first two second half tries. Just saying, but I will say, you know, you got to remember, I'm not Mike Tolkien, so, and I will tell you this, that. You know, he he does believe in Froglio. He does believe in Wallace. He does believe in Aspen. He does believe in the guy, Peter. Dye. He does believe in everybody. Like, just because, I, I you know, and I say things, sometimes I say things a little bit tongue-in-cheek and whatever, but, you know, don't take it as <clears throat> him not playing a guy doesn't mean he doesn't believe in him. Doesn't sub that often. It's just not a big thing that he he's not a big guy who goes – and make subs. The the I was actually shocked that he took Emrick out of the game, especially since Emrick looked 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 upset about it. And and uh like I and and, and an outsider's point of view, I probably would have selected Roland, maybe bumped everyone out of a step and put Emrick on the wing, Hume at fullback, and tried to get away with having Hume have the ball a little bit more often coming from fullback, but they also use trail runners pretty well. So they, they, it, it really depends on the system. Like, But he does trust them, and he, he just doesn't use people that much. It, it's not a big part of the way he does things. So it's not a matter of not trusting him, and, and, I, and I certainly would not have done it in this game. I've got, I've got uh, a couple of names, and, and then I want to sort of circle back to – Chris Wilds, but um, one name that I know is not going to be mentioned because I don't think Mike Tolkien is inclined to pick him. Uh, but Mikey Sua um, is is a player that I know Pat likes a lot and I like a lot. And the idea of a, a, a 20 minute guy who bowls people over, I like him. I don't think Mike Tolkien is enamored with uh, Sua as a prospect, uh, part of because of his age, because of his fitness. 
because of the kind of player he is. Understandable. Um, I, I don't know if Ray Forrester, also from BYU, is a prospect on that level. Um, I don't think – I like – I was thinking about Nate Brakeley, who's at Cambridge University, and I don't, I don't think um, he's really can get away from his studies, but he's a guy that we've got to keep in mind. Cam Dolan probably would have been on this squad had he not been hurt. Um, Taylor Mokate, still a, pros, uh, a project, probably would have been on this squad had he not been hurt. Uh, those are other guys. The, the the guy that I think of when I think of young guy who could be a future player who perhaps might have been a game breaker, and again, school gets in the way, is Don Patti. And Don Patti, I think, um, has tremendous potential as an outside back, uh, not necessarily as a scrum half. Um, I also would have liked to see Mike Shepard in there, uh, possibly as a, as a project. But we circle all the way back and remind people again, that the most well-known and one of the most dangerous wings in European rugby, Taku Nguenya, is not with the USA team because of visa problems, uh, possibly due to the fact that his club didn't really want him to play for the Eagles. Uh, we know that Samu Manoa, probably the most popular player in Premiership rugby right now, is not with the USA due to complications uh, centered around uh, a mild shoulder injury and contract issues. And we know that Chris Wiles uh, and Zach Pendulino played fine at fullback. I think he, he was fine, and I'm glad to see that he got some points with the boot. But Chris Wiles and his steadying influence and his direction from fullback, he's very vocal at fullback, uh, was sorely missed in this game because when the, the team is getting away from their game, Wiles would have been one of the guys to be able to bring it back in. He would at least have been been the guy to settle things down by kicking to the corner and making touch on the bounce and then talking to the backs about how we want to rework things. That didn't happen. That's a learning experience. And even though all of those problems happened, the USA still almost won the game. Question to you guys as we wrap this up is... What about Romania? What do you see? Uh, is there an issue with, if Brian Doyle can't go? Is that a major problem against a very good scrumming Romania team? Uh, and, and what do you do about that? Do you put just slot in Inaki Basari or do you do something else? And my third question is scrum half. Was Shaw terrific again this time? Uh, Mike Petrie did probably played his worst 20 minutes I've seen in a while. Um, and, and Pat, I know you have some reasons why that happened. I think he has some good insights into that. So I want to ask Pat first, because Pat has some comments about, uh, Petrie, but I want to know, um, what happens in, in the, the second row without Doyle, um, does Wiles straighten things out against Romania and what do we do about scrum half? I, I, my thoughts on Petri were basically this is a guy who thought he was going to start this game coming into this whole camp <clears throat> and then um, because Shaw played so well last game he didn't um, so you got that guy sitting on the bench for 60 or 70 minutes or whatever it was so he's pretty juiced up to finally get in the game he gets in and you know by the time he got in you can't really afford to let a scrum half get into his groove and um, Mike needed to I mean his first pass was probably all adrenaline, but he shot the ball right off of somebody's chest about three feet away from him. He made a short arm pass against Lestrange a little bit later, and then he got into the flow of it, um, as you know, a lot of scrummers have kind of have to do is just get into their rhythm. But 
I just don't think we had enough time for someone to find the rhythm. And I think a large part of the reason why he came out the way he did was, I mean, he was in a, he was a cage bull. I mean, he wanted to play. So I, I'm not saying it's anything on the fault of him. I'm not sure I would have made the substitution, frankly, at that point in the game. Um, but as far as scrum half, um, I think Shaw's played well. Um, at the same time, I also think Mike Petrie's a really, really good player. So I'm not going to say that Shaw has earned the spot over Petrie um, or that he hasn't. So really, I'm I'm okay with whoever Tolkien puts in there. I'm not going to argue with with it either way because I do think Shaw's boot was really good today, um, and he made some good plays. And he's obviously really good in support if you look at the tries he scored. Um, and then in terms of Romania, it has to be a win. If you if we walk away one and two from this. Um, series. I don't care how good we looked at different spurts. That's obviously negative. So we we should go to Romania and win. And um, it's a tricky place to play. You go to kind of the way we went and lost to Georgia. It's just a weird part of the world. Um, and uh, I just I hope that a similar thing doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, I think that you do have to come away with a win. I think we will. Uh, Bruce, what what do you think is going to happen um, if Doyle can't go? Um, well, I'll, let's just let's let's talk about Romania first, and then I'll discuss some of the other things. Yeah, I I absolutely think we're gonna we're gonna beat Romania. I do think he's going to play um, Robbie. I don't. Petri certainly was not disappointed. I I had an, an email conversation with him this morning. Petri and Robbie are really good friends, and I I, I mean I'm sure he was disappointed, but he's not mad about it. He, he, he was mad when he was playing second fiddle last time. He doesn't get mad about playing behind Robbie. Uh, he really likes Robbie, and he really respects Robbie's game. The Alex, I would I would love to coach against you because I, I, sometimes your selections baffle me. But uh, <laughs> um, my <laughs> I could win the game by hanging out in the locker room drinking beers and saying just – Don't you already? Just go out and play better than the than the guy Alex picked. But um, I think that uh, I think that that Mikey Sua is look. A lot of these guys are very fantastic players on the club or collegiate level. Mikey is thirty years old and he's, he's got kids, and it, it, it there's a, a big dynamic when you add kids into the equation, as you see, like a little bit different with Clever and that he's a professional player and stuff, but. Like even Vandergeesen's out of it, and 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 that, and, you know, the people with kids, it, things are. If you don't have a, a real hard pro contract, it's very difficult to to cope and play. I think that we are going to beat Romania. I think we're going to beat Romania well. I think that I don't know what's going to happen if 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 Brian doesn't play. Knowing Brian, if he came out of the game, he's pretty bad. He's already torn his ACL. Uh, he's already had a, a bad hand injury. I've never seen Brian come out of the game. The, the, if this guy has the, the the best resilience that I know of anybody. He's one, one of the one of the hardest working guys. If he came out of the game, he's he is absolutely injured. I would be very surprised if he played next week. And I haven't spoken to him, but I would be very surprised if he played next week, just because he doesn't come out of the game for anything. So I, I, I think they're going to have to go with Anaki. It didn't not work. He, Anaki played way better today than he played last week. And I think that they're going to go with I, – I, the thing that, I, 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 that might surprise us, I thought that he played Asman pretty late in the game 
at flanker. I'm not positive about this. Yeah, he'll he'll play. He'll use. Asman I'd be flanker. surprised if Asman plays. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if he may go with Quill, but I I think he likes having that extra seven on the back. I think he likes having that extra flanker around. And so, does he have another big guy? Is there another big guy there? Uh, Harriman. Harriman. Yeah, no, no. He he certainly could put Harriman on the bench. The thing is, okay, Romania. Romania is a, a a good team, and the, I mean, again, we're talking about the scrum because the scrum is going to be a, an issue. Romania scrums very well, uh, and and has a a, a good hard running backline. But then, that's all the USA has been dealing with. Um, I. I I, I think that there is some some issues right now as to whether John Quill is the guy at seven. I think, um, like I said, physically he got blown out, blown around a, a couple of times, um, and and Basari I think would be fine just a, a straight swap in at, at second row. But we because our back row, you know, the six and eight are playing so well. Why would you move them around? Um, the the question is about whether you want to try something different at wing. I don't think that's necessarily uh, something we're going to see. But we but Zach Pangelinen, you know, hung in there. He's not as physical as Cornelius Dirksen, but we might see him on the wing instead of Dirksen. Uh, Chris Wiles obviously will be back at fullback, um, and they can beat they they certainly should beat can beat Romania, and they come out of this tour. With two wins and one close loss, and progress. Um, but I think, I think the big I, thing is, is that they're making progress. Yeah. I think they're going to wipe Romania. I'm looking at a 15 plus, and which I would have looked against Russia, and that guy made that kick from the corner. Um, then, but I think it's going to be a 15 plus win. I think it's going to be a great performance by the USA. And then they're going to go into the uh, World Cup qualifiers over the summer. Yeah. I think they're going to go in playing better. The thing is, can they get themselves from being a 40-minute team inconsistent for in June to being a 60-minute team who falls apart to being, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to be an 80-minute team, but can they get themselves to the point where they're, uh, you know, a uh, 75-minute team and your bad five minutes or, you know, somewhere 25 minutes into the game, we doesn't even matter. Yeah, if if, if you're if you're a good 70-minute team, suddenly your lead is insurmountable. And if you ha- if you take that good, and you get one more try out of it, and that's that's really what we're talking about here, is that if if the USA had gotten a converted try instead of a penalty or instead of nothing out of one visit to the red zone, then they would have uh, continued to be in the lead and the game might have ended differently. Hey, look, if that pass goes to Lestrange, he's under the sticks. Yeah. And and then, you know, they got their tails up. The USA, it, it's – that was – it stinks to see things like that in rugby that – and that's – Something that really doesn't happen in the American domestic game is that players don't generally commit very intentional fouls to disallow tries. Technical fouls like that, yeah. Like they don't, yeah, they don't, they're not professional fouls. They don't do things professionally to disallow tries. Like, and it's, it's frowned upon from a cultural standpoint. Like, the players don't collapse scrums. They don't, like, you got to go to work on Monday. It's a different world from the professional to this. And 
you know, a lot of the Tongan players are professional, and they don't care. They'll do anything to stop the ball. I mean, they'll climb in and fall over it and do whatever. And our guys don't do that. And I, and, and I actually think that's good. I think that's good. And I think that referees got to have nuts to say, you know what, buddy? You ain't going to play anymore. That's it. You're not – or penalty try yellow card. Yeah. That's what the call should have been. But it was a yellow card. Penalty it was a yellow card, but it was not a penalty try, and it was a penalty. I mean, that's a very good point. That I mean, it was an ob- it was foul play of some kind that would that prevented what appeared to be a sure try. So um, the 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 one thing I want to go back, we'll wrap it up here. But uh, in the last show, Bruce, you talked about this this squad, and you said that there was lack of depth in the squad, that once you got past the first 18 players, um, there was a drop-off. And I and I think that's somewhat been borne out. And I also think that we still have to look within the American game as to how do we bolster this team. Instead of just saying, oh, we need Wiles back, we need Wenya back, we need Samuel Manoa playing, what about the next group? What, a, what about um, inst- not just looking at either the best, you know, the best club guys available, or the All Americans, or the Under Twenties, but who are the guys that really have potential that we can start working on? They're thinking, they're working on that stuff in the sevens. They're they're starting to develop something to do. But how do we develop those guys? I think that number one is that we gotta we gotta first off identify people that we're interested in as a nation. And I think that you know, got to find out where they are, and we got to try to create working groups of. There's going to be kids on the under 20s, kids on the 18s, kids on the senior men, guys who are aspiring senior men, or guys who just want to be good club players, who have time, and they need to work together in groups on individual skills. There's a lot of skills involved in playing rugby, whether it's tracking and tackling, ball handling. Um, or uh, catching we, just simple catch pass is pretty hard. Yeah, simple things like you know, and 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 I would, and then you get or offloading or things like that. Then there's then there's position specific skills. Some things you know you, you may have a scrum half who needs to practice box kicks, where you may have a winger who needs to catch practice catching high balls. And then if you could get an individual coach, and I don't, I don't actually don't even need, think that the coach needs to be that elite. I think he just needs to be a guy who cares who is in contact with somebody in the elite coaching circle, whether it's Mike Tolkien or Dan Payne or, or, you know, it it, it doesn't even have to be at that high of a level or it could be in in touch with Ron Leschewski or, or Mike Engelbrecht or Salty Thompson and just say, you know what? I have a, 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 a fullback who's in my area or Pat, you can, you may have a fullback who's in your area in 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 St. Louis, and you just say, okay, how do I coach him? I'm willing to go work with the guy twice a week and work on his skills. What do I need to do? And then have a program that he does where he catches certain high balls, and you may put on that big pad cape where somebody kicks high balls to the guy, and he just comes up and catches them, or somebody videos or you video the guy and you take a look and you analyze it with the guy. And it, it doesn't necessarily matter. It's just a matter of actually doing it and actually getting around to doing it. I think that that's the key 
is if you do that, then everybody – it's like the reason New Zealand is great isn't because they have these fantastic athletes or anything like that. It's that the whole country is galvanized toward making the All Blacks great. Everyone wants to be an All Black. So if we can galvanize our nation around trying to make everybody around us better and the people who are willing to spend the time on becoming individually better and having coaches talk to other coaches and share ideas about how to help those players become individually better. I'm not talking about tactics or anything like that. I I would share the Eagle tactics. I mean, hell, I'll do anything you want. I'll tell everybody the entire AC game plan, which is essentially the entire Eagle game plan, which is essentially the entire game plan of 95% of teams in the world. It's a matter of being able to execute simple skills under pressure every single time and do it on a day-to-day basis. That's the difference between the good and the bad teams. So it's not a matter of who exactly it is. It's a matter of getting everybody bought into the fact that we as a nation are going to raise the bar. We are going to decide for ourselves that we are going to make the concerted effort to be as professional as we can. And we are going to try to get as good as we can as hard as we can and as as much as we're willing to do. And in doing that, we'll raise the level of the domestic competition. We'll raise the level of our Eagle players because they'll be within these working programs. And then we will be better for it. And that to me is the most important thing. It's not a matter of who. There is no magical who that is going to come in and be – I mean, honestly – what is Richie McCaw? He's a six foot two, 220 pound white guy who's not particularly fast, not particularly strong, not particularly really anything. But what he does is he focuses on the basics day in and day out for the past several years. And that's why he's great. And he has a mentality about him. That's a can-do mentality. He doesn't have a feeling of the fact that he is inferior. He has a feeling of the fact that he belongs because he knows that he's put the work in to belong. And I think that that is the key. Galvanizing all the coaches around. And a lot of people don't know where to start. Pat, if you were going to coach goal kickers or Alex, if if you were going to coach wingers on their sidestep you may not know where to start but there is a place to start i mean even like and i'm not and this isn't a commercial i mean it's like the rugby site or there's a bunch of videos on youtube like we know where to start and we know like you can work on a guy on goal kicking even if you just shagging kicks for the guy you can work on a guy on his sidestep even if you're just going up and and giving him a soft shoulder like having to make a decision as to what shoulder you could work on things with everybody. And it would, how exciting would it be to coach a guy who's like, you like his personal coach. You may not, you just work on his skills with him and talk to him and do things. That's awesome for a coach to get, he's, you're going to get better at doing things. And the kid may be 17 right now. 
and you're his personal, you may be his personal coach till he's 18. And then he goes to college and has another personal coach. I, I think that that's what we need to do. They, they, not everybody's going to want to make that kind of commitment. But some people are. And we need to cultivate those people. And we can't do it with six or eight guys. They can't be like an elite center where like somebody's got to travel five hours. They're more likely, if they live in Olympia, Washington, to travel to Alex Goff's house and work on kicking, scrum half passing, or whatever it is that they need to do, or scrum setups or scrum engagements, than to drive several hours to Seattle to work with Joe Rizzoni or or Stevie Gookin or Evan Haig or Wiseli Cerevi. Wow. And I'm now a viable alternative to Wesley Cerevi. I, actually, I, I, if I can start coaching the uh, the deer in my front lawn to offer opposition on the scrum, I might actually have something to go go with that that would work out great. I think if you invited Gary Lambert and Garrett Lambert and probably several other people to your front lawn, they'd gladly kill every <laughs> doe. And they would smash Bambi's father, mother, and Bambi, and have it for dinner all winter. Uh, they're they're just they just wander around my lawn eating my apples. Uh, so we we do have players. We have more players available for this national team. Um, I I think this is still a building group, but we just have a group of players who are pretty experienced and uh, are making the USA better. I'm I'm pleased to see this is a team that we feel like something can happen and we're not just sort of shaking our heads and wondering. Uh, but uh, a little bit of a frustrating loss for the players, I know, because they were good enough to beat Tonga at uh, a certain point and ultimately not good enough to beat Tonga because they had a frustrating end. That will... I'm going to tell you one thing. Yeah. We're qualifying this summer. You mark my words. We're qualifying this summer. Against Canada. Yep. All right. Because Canada... I'll tell you one thing, Canada's shut, closing out a game pretty nicely against Russia right now, and uh, um, I, I'm impressed with them. I'm right. just telling you, yeah. you mark my words. Okay, sounds yeah. all right. Okay, we will be right back on Rugged Matrix America. Hey, everybody, we are all rugby fans here at Rugged Matrix America, and we're happy to have a wonderful supporter, Lauer Family Wines, who are also huge rugby fans. They know about the passion for rugby, and they have a passion for wine that rivals our passion for our favorite sport. Uh, check out hookerwines.com or go to rugbymag.com to see more about Lauer Family Wines from Napa Valley. All right, that's going to do it for us on Rugged Matrix America. We want to thank all our sponsors, uh, Rugby Imports, USA 7s, and the Las Vegas Invitational, and Hooker Wines, and also the rugby site. Uh, it's been great, and uh, we're uh, looking forward to USA playing Romania in Bucharest, where we think that they can do something special. Thank you for listening to Rugged Matrix America, and go Eagles. <laughs> 